Hey guys, due to entirely foreseen, totally avoidable circumstances, Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is going to go on a two-week hiatus. We know this is a disappointment and that nothing can make up for it, that we alone send a shining beam of meaning into otherwise meaningless lives lived by rote. As an apology, we'll instead put out two episodes of an experimental thing we're doing called Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata colon Podcast Guys Talking to Erratic Errata. So get hype! Podcast Guys takes a long view and a long price. Spoilers will be commonplace. Listen at your own risk. Good morning, faithful reader. Welcome, fortunate seeker. This is Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata. Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is a whirlwind reread of a practical guide to evil, where a historian and a literature scholar tackle the big questions about one of the greatest novels of the age, such as What's up back at the college with Lizard Company? Will Cat ever forgive Aisha this betrayal? What is Robert's best judgment? I fear the day we find out. A patient knife always strikes true. So Ninke saying. In this chapter, we get the second of Kat's betrayals uh, coming to the the forefront of the story. Um, Mm -hmm. It starts off with Kat loosely aligned with Aisha for the purpose of taking on the dug-in Fox Company under Snatcher. We start off getting an overview of Snatcher's fortress that he has built in the last few hours, day. Uh, along with some planning between Aisha and Kat on how to storm the fortress, during which point Kat reveals part of the next stage of her plan to her various officers, and it's revealed that, unsurprisingly, Kat is also planning to betray Aisha. The plan to do so goes off without a hitch for at least two or three seconds before everything falls apart, and it turns out that Aisha was turning on Kat to begin with to align herself with her quote-unquote friend, Juniper. Kat's forced to retreat into the safety of Snatcher's fortress, and uh, that's pretty much where the chapter leaves off. Where the chapter starts off is much more interesting to me than anything else, because... When they notice that Snatcher's fortifications don't appear to be Legion design, Aisha says, well, Aisha curses in a low voice. She says, Bin Hamar, which is to grabby. Catherine's not sure what it means exactly, though she catches the word for donkey in there. And I think that's really cool. Bin Hamar, which means the word for donkey is either Bin or Hamar, or maybe Ham or Mar or Amar or Hama. Or, you know, it's, it's somewhere in there. So write that down in our glossary. We'll be able to use that later. But I think that's fun. I like these little language things. Snatcher, though, 
it's proving already to be a clever goblin. And we'll see this for a little bit going forward. His fortifications not being leech in design in a way to fool or not fool. In such a way that he might baffle legion-trained legionaries. Clever guy. Let's keep an eye on this for about two chapters. <laughs> yeah, he, he's got sort of his own design here, um, but familiar enough that all of the pieces make sense to Cat, who is roughly legion-trained at this point. Uh, one of the early things she mentions is that she's concerned that his mining of the fields mining here mean to lay with explosives not to dig tunnels which is why, also why true. would he be digging tunnels right exactly um but he may have dug up extra patches to make it seem like there are mines in the wrong places and then more carefully covered where the mines actually are and there's some nasty work at play here which makes sense for a an entire company made up of stappers under the command of a infamously fortification focused goblin um Important to note, though, while we are um, looking at the fortress while Kat's kind of eyeing everything and uh, seeing what the defenses look like, she does give us the line, rubies to piglets, which we've been kind of keeping eye. Yeah, we've been trying to see where she where she starts eyeing up the, the difference between different types of gemstones and which ones are worth betting against piglets and which aren't. And we've reached rubies, which is great. Uh, it's a little, it's pretty early. We didn't have to deal with anything else for very long, which is, I appreciate that. I feel comfortable now. But alongside the uh, the mined sort of inner fields and palisades and ramparts and walls, uh, it seems as though Snatcher is also working on some freestanding taller structure. Tower of some kind. A tower which Kat says looks more like a platform, uh, though its purpose eluded me for now. And I gotta say, you're behind fortifications, you're expecting an attack, if I built a tower in my backyard, like Dale Gribble in that one episode of King of the Hill, is that not self-justifying? Towers are awesome. But in a battle context, is a tower not even more self-justifying? Have someone sit up there, they see a little better. Have someone sit up there with a weapon, they shoot a little better. Have someone upgrade it to the second or third tier of its building, and it'll start shooting arrows automatically. I've played Age of Empires. Why does Catherine fixate on a tower? Of course there's a tower. He's natural. He can build a tower. The you know the idea of getting a bird's eye view to be able to see more of the battlefield makes sense. I think she probably there might be questioning whether it's worth all the effort. For Snatcher, it is obviously. He's yes. He's <laughs> any marginal advantage that comes from any kind of construction. I feel like he's going to go in on. He's big on that. Uh, but as far he's as the weapon, he can get right. Exactly. Sure. Um, as far as the weaponry goes, it's in the center of the fort, which means it is a good distance away from where any actual fighting will be going on, uh, meaning any handheld weaponry, the crossbows, and even mage spells, I imagine, given how limited they seem to be in range. Or maybe that's just Killian. Um, may not actually be able to effectively shoot at enemies. Uh, so I, I understand from a combat perspective, it may not be the most immediately apparent. The, it, from a combat perspective, the uh, purpose of the tower may not be immediately apparent we do know what it's for and we will find out next chapter i believe yes next chapter yes but for now yeah focusing on it i think is a little interesting obviously the weaponry is not great but at least for like you said being able to oversee the battlefield it does make a lot of sense for somebody who's not planning to move around no 
as we find out more about the specifics of her situation, Catherine's need to fixate on anything but the battle to come kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, since Rat Company was coming at this at this challenge as an underdog, and thus Cat was approaching all of her pre-battle negotiations from a position without power, uh, she had to agree to some less than ideal conditions. Uh, we find out here that in the initial assault upon Snatcher's Fortress, so the best fortress that's going to be seen in this five-way melee, Rat Company is going to be the first wave. They're going to assault the outer defenses, which is going to be a casualty-heavy endeavor. That is a brutal agreement that that uh, Cat and thereby Rat Company have entered into with uh, the wolves. I mean, it's only one reaction to that. Yeah, we get a uh, we get a finger clench here, and uh, that is being added to the tally, of course. But I will not say what the tally is because there's a second one in this chapter. No spoilers. Ooh, Catherine has a lot to worry about, though. There's this horrifying fort that she has to lead the assault on, and she says that they know that Juniper has men in the area, which I do need to reiterate. They don't, though. Catherine decided that Juniper was the most likely explanation for her disappearing people. And sure, yeah, anything goes wrong in this entire combat, Juniper is the most likely force behind it because she's all-powerful. But Snatcher could have snatched your people. Wolf Company could have pulled a thing on you. Why not? It's in their favor, ultimately. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think Kat is operating from a bit of a naive position here, assuming that neither Wolf nor Fox are going to betray her before she betrays them, or that they're not going to... I mean, I know they don't end up betraying her ever, but... Right, of course, but that she, she doesn't plan to... Or that she doesn't plan for them laying the groundworks of a an eventual betrayal. It She doesn't know about the tunnels for Fox, so I can understand her not thinking they would be involved. But yeah, Wolf could very easily be involved with this. Although, to be fair, it would be a little harder for Wolf Company to capture and imprison seven people and Cat not to find out about that, given the proximity, but yeah. Oh, they actually a- found some cool tunnels underneath the camp. Oh, well, that works out well. Really convenient. But all of this is... So, uh, oh, Yeah, go ahead. Okay. All of this is sort of taking place in the context of needing to uh, take on Snatcher quickly, because in the layer of trust that we are going to be dealing with here we're going to presuppose that asia and cat are working together and with that in mind the big threat once they take out snatcher is of course juniper and there's this little bit of a hint where uh uh, that cat is actually thinking about things um she's a little worried that maybe asia will side with juniper because they were and i quote friends it's oh, nice. it's very cute. What they're just good buddies, you know. Maybe maybe once they're in the legions together, they could end up as bunk mates, roommates, that sort of thing. But they're just friends for now, and that's great. You have to love seeing gal pals, especially in an industry that always pits women against each other. Mm-hmm. These BFFs. And because of this, Catherine is concerned that Aisha might sell her out to Juniper, but also that Juniper might side with Aisha in a combat situation because they are friends. And the thing is, it's already kind of established. Juniper is going to make the right choice militarily. All else being equal, which it cannot be in a pitched combat situation, sure, I bet Juniper would side with Aisha above Catherine. 
but it won't all else be equal. But all else will not be equal. Therefore, Juniper will just make the best choice. I, I would suspect nothing less of her. But in her fear, Catherine realizes that if she needs, if she wants to get Aisha on her side instead of Juniper's, she's going to have to really work for it. Yeah. So she, there's a, a bit of the discussion back and forth about what the actual plan uh, is going to be here, and in order to lure Aisha closer into this false sense of security cat thinks uh she agrees to uh, uh she agrees to wolf company's plan and in doing that she can't reveal why she's doing these things why she has a specific plan in mind that doesn't line up perfectly so in agreeing she spies and then says we do it your way then begrudgingly you have to assume and there's just Kat still does not have a single diplomatic bone in her body. All it takes here is thinking things over and then with a straight face agreeing to the plan, revealing like, oh, I'm not happy about this, but we, I guess we can do it, is just saying, <laughs> hey, I've got other things going on that I'm at. The amount of distrust that she is sowing by doing this is ridiculous. She is not, she's not thinking beyond the fact that, wow, this disappoints me on a personal level. I better let my... I better let this conversational partner know. And that's that's a little rough, I gotta say. But Catherine goes from rough company to bad company. She finds Pickler and my boy, my darling son, Robert, and says, Lieutenant, Sergeant, I have work for you. And like the loyal company first soldier that he is, Robert immediately starts grinning and... <laughs> Listen, you want him on your side, you want to keep him happy, but if you are giving orders that makes him like pleased with what's about to happen, make sure you take a moment for some introspection and <laughs> be sure that you're doing things the right way, because I would have some concerns anytime he's pleased. Whereas Catherine treats it correctly. She sends him around to uh she sends him around on a patrol, and Robert asks, and if Snatcher makes contact, and Catherine recognizes the opportunity placed in her lap here. She, yeah, she kind of, hmm, she more or less lets Robert off his leash in a way that is concerning, but also a good call in this instance. She says to him, use your better judgment. And two things. First, oh boy, Kat, what have you just signed on for? You're going to find corpses. There are going to be corpses. But also, I mean... Letting him do what he needs to do is going to get you results, so fair enough. I held his gaze steadily. Use your better judgment. To the sergeant's left, I saw Pickler win. God bless that guy. God's bless that guy. God's gobbler averted gaze from the... I'm, I'm not sure. I, you know, there's only one corpse that they bring back. And it's, and it's a, a corpse laden with foreshadowing. They hunt a bit and instead of the most dangerous game which is of course orc they come back with a dead goat and uh you know by the time this story is in cat has a long and storied history with dead goats so it's it's nice to see these humble roots one of them is is making an appearance a little a little dead goat cameo but there is a story tradition of cats that she initially starts by trying to deny the course is dropped next to my bedroll I'd elected not to bring a tent, preferring to travel light. 
This is a woman who gets a large oaken table for her commander's tent with intricate carving carried with the army as it moves later on. Just saying, she didn't start so nasty. Humble beginnings, for sure. And uh, some of that has to come with the resources available. She's a company. She's leading a company right now. Eventually, she's leading all of humankind, more or less. But in order to reach that point, she has to sort of build up quite the weight of reputation and story. And we're starting to find out that kind of behind the scenes, a big part of her reputation is probably being uh, created almost whole cloth by robber we he seems to do so much to help build her infamy uh he's talking about she and cat are robber and cat are talking about punching out ogres which we witnessed firsthand last chapter and cat tries to say no, no no you know that only happened once and you know the ogre thing is a lie it didn't i didn't punch out an ogre basically and shamelessly admitting what's going on here, Robert says, that's my favorite kind of lie, which is probably why I've been spreading it every occasion I get. This nasty little boy is out there telling people cats knocking out ogres with their bare hands and charging face first into fireballs and coming out unscathed. Cat's getting a reputation, and it's thanks to a number of her soldiers, I'm sure, but particularly Robert, because he has no qualms about exaggerating as much as possible. I want to note something here. Okay. That I'd like everyone to keep in mind for next week. You can do it. If you're listening to this podcast not when it's coming out, first of all, how dare you? Secondly, welcome. How's the future? And third, okay. But please hold this in mind until the next episode, whenever that is for you. Fresh meat for the next meal, Captain. Robert told me proudly, talking about the dead goat. Hatcher stuck a knife in its neck before it even realized she was there. Hatcher stuck a knife in its neck. The female goblin, who he just provided me the name for, shuffled on her feet, obviously uncomfortable with the attention. Hatcher. This is Hatcher. A female goblin who is uncomfortable with the attention. Keep it in mind, we will not reference it again today. So, turns out, this trip around, this patrol, allowed Snatcher to get in contact. Ten goblins go out, and eleven came back. And so Catherine assembles a council of officers. When the officers arrive, Nock asks if this is to come up with a plan to pitch to uh, Aisha to assault the fortress. And Kat says, not exactly. It's time to let you all in on the second step of my plan for the melee. We are two days in, is that right? A day and a half? This would be the third day. We are two full days in. Kat is, has already betrayed Morak. Kat has moved her army around a fair bit. Sorry, her company about, about around a fair bit. There have been, there's been a battle. There's been scouting. There's been uh, ambushes in the night. And she is just now telling her officers what step two of the plan is. Not the final step, not the second half of my plan. The second step, meaning there's more to it. And she's not telling them that. This is... Obviously, it's pitched this way intentionally. It's it's written this way intentionally, and it's really, really well done. It's great. But this is such a heist movie-style way to do a big battle between five companies of 100 soldiers each. It, something happens, and then it's, oh, yes, this was all part of my plan, and here's, how, here's why, and things go wrong. 
and cats reacting to them while still sticking with the bigger picture. It, it's fantastic. I love it. Of course, this heist movie, like layered plan, it's just a series of betrayal. And Cat knows that, and we know that. But Ratface is a little concerned about this, and probably half joking since he's quipping dryly. He says, "Is there anyone we aren't betraying?" <laughs> and Cat hesitates for a moment, and then says, "Define betray." It's fantastic. It's extremely cat. It's extremely practical guide, frankly. The the little bit of banter here, the actual what the plan is, Ratface just having no idea about what's going on and then being surprised when the plan is to betray everybody. Ratface just being out of the loop and not grasping the big picture. But it, it, it's very good. This is, it's very good. I, I really enjoy this whole scene where she starts to reveal everything and uh, hints at what is to come. The what is to come in this case is once Catherine's army on the flanks moves in to sacrifice itself, that Wolf Company can take on Fox Company and its fortifications. Fox Company will instead send out soldiers from those same fortifications and join Rat Company in falling upon Aisha's Wolf Company. We find out that Snatcher is only going to be contributing two lines of regulars into the fight. These two lines represent all of the regulars that Fox Company can bring to bear, but it's still not very many soldiers. And this is interesting because they are really, really relying on stock for this to work because, first of all, we know that Rat Company's regulars and heavies don't fight as well as other companies particularly. Like, they're well-drilled and all, but they're built in such a way that against most other companies, they match up poorly. Then we're adding in the regulars of a company whose main function is being sappers. And in the fight with Lizard Company, Kat took some pretty hefty losses, she talks about. So I have to imagine that this battle is going to be a combined force of Fox and Rat Company, whose numbers probably are only roughly equal to what Wolf is fielding alone. And so they're they're relying on surprise quite a bit here, which is a little rough given what's coming. Surprise and missile support. Of course. But... And so the time comes for the battle. Catherine separates her troops into two great chunks. She retains for herself Nock and his heavies in case there was another Red Rage episode. And look, I know Catherine is the single most powerful individual on the field, especially now that the Ogres are gone, in the field of the entire five-way, four-way mm-hmm. combat. But w- what's she thinking? Oh yeah, if Nox starts Red Rage, and I'll just put him down and get back to the fight. That's a big deal. It It might be that her hope is to not disrupt the chain of command too much if she loses him and less that she's trying Ah. to be able to take him out. If he's away and is the senior officer in an area and red rages, things fall apart. Here, if he red rages, she can just take direct command. The center can hold. Exactly. But the center is Aisha because, of course, we've got Kat on one side. And on the other side, we have... Half of Cat's remaining soldiers under the command of Ratface. And given Rat Company's record and what we know about this very hot young man, is Cat trying to lose? Is she throwing this match, putting him in charge? I, I don't understand this decision. You say that now, 
But I bet you by next chapter, we're going to see Ratface victorious. He's going to be captured again. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, maybe actually, hold on. This is all 5D chess on Kat's part. She predicts what's going to happen and is getting him off the board as quickly as possible. I feel bad. I love Ratface so much. He's just not good at battle. And that's okay. <laughs> he's in the. He's not even in the wrong field. He's in the wrong... He's just in a rough part of his education. Yeah. It, it's but, the gen eds that are getting him. <laughs> the gen eds of being in charge of one of the companies, yeah. This is basically high school PE from where... Rat faces looking. Sure. Some people are destined to become research scientists or destined to become, I don't know, inventory specialists, rat face. But in the meantime, you still have to throw dodgeballs at other sweaty teens. That's what this is. The dream for rat face, I guess. And just like my high school dodgeball games, the opposing captain has put her mages and sappers in the middle of a tightly packed square. You know, I know we went to different high schools, but yours sounds very interesting. Okay, I it's really grade school that's relevant here, middle school. But I do have some amazing dodgeball stories from my middle school days. We had an extremely complex and involved set of dodgeball rules. People broke bones. It was great. I was solidly mediocre, which is roughly the apex of all my non-cross-country sports performances. It, I... Could do a whole podcast on it, which will be our May stretch goal. Remember, everyone, April's not quite over. And if you get us to the $50, I think, a month tier, you'll get that Pirates of the Caribbean three shot. And for May, you'll get dodgeball stories. Please do not meet these goals or else I'll be forced to actually make them. <laughs> Patreon.com slash P-G-T-E-E. Again, that's Patreon.com slash P-G-T-E-E. But unbelievable, unbelievably exciting dodgeball stories aside, Aisha puts her, her mages and sappers in the middle of a tightly packed square, which, sure, you put your squishies in the middle of a, a tightly packed wall of muscle and metal, sure. But it rings odd to me in this battle and coming from Aisha specifically. So we're told several times that Wolf Company's biggest strength is their maneuverability. Their ability to not rely on a log of a battle, but to outflank their opponents or show up in unexpected places. And among formations one can adopt, a tightly packed square is approximately the least mobile. Add into that that you're putting your most mobile forces, your sappers, in the middle of this square, and she's basically giving up the entire function of her specialized troop distribution it, it's she's becoming lizard company without having as many heavies or ogres and that's that's weird enough but also when you add into this that this is an assault on uh on a fortified position in theory a square is an odd choice you're putting your armored soldiers with shields behind your mages and stoppers in addition to in front and beside them cat is has a long way to go clearly because Aisha is setting up in a position that is more or less broadcasting that she's not doing a normal assault on a wall directly in front of her there's this is a uh, this is not a subtle thing that that she's doing here it's a very obvious it's very obviously the wrong formation for what's going on and Kat doesn't pick up on that immediately so I think we 
we see that Kat's ability to read a battlefield is uh, in its nascent stages at this point. Well, you're forgetting that Aisha isn't leading the assault, so maybe she's just prepared, you know? Right. Prepared to pivot with parade ground perfection to face my separated men and charge. Yep. Wolf Company, as soon as things begin, turns on Kat. And she's very surprised by this. And also more surprised by, whoops, there's another banner appearing over the hill nearby. Wait, we've already seen Lizard, Fox, Wolf, and Rat. I can't remember any other animals in the fight. Who could this be? First Company has arrived, and things just begin to disintegrate around Cat. And she's not pleased about that. Catherine writes, I threw my helmet on the ground and let out a cry of anger. And like, look, Cat, girl, I get it. This is really rough. Sure, you may be about to just lose and lose basically everything, but it will not help you to throw a fit in front of your troop. You're beginning to cultivate a mystique. Maintain it. As you die inside, look calmly at Juniper's advance and say, Ah, oh, yes. I thought it was about time you showed up. Retreat! But speaking of retreating, though, that is her plan. Uh, she says, we withdraw. The words feeling like ash in her mouth. Follow Snatcher's wall to the east. There's bound to be another way in there. And then she says, the real problem was that there was no way to get a message to Ratface to tell him to do the same on the other side. And I'm just curious, how limited is battlefield communication typically in such a faux medieval setting? And would you expect this kind of limitation in this kind of battle in a real-life approximating various simultaneous setting? Would there not be typically a flag-based or horn-based or drum-based or, you know, scrying-based? I'm kidding. I know that in real life, scrying was a secret that was kept by the royal governments and is now held by the U.S. government. But a method. But a method by which there could be this kind of repositioning communication. That's a really good question about uh, battlefield communication. Um, what we would expect is that there would be next to nothing available aside from a prearranged signal for go towards the wall. Um, the level of battlefield communication that some of us would be familiar with from uh, you know, TV shows or movies that have medieval or ancient warfare is pretty absurd. Um, there's no super in-depth tactics you know the red flag means wheel this way and mark and there's no way to communicate on the fly changes to small units of soldiers uh the plans that they'll be operating under uh in short yeah uh this is a very believable problem if in a battle where you weren't separated by your enemy to start with which is most battles to be clear the way that you tell somebody else, hey, we're doing a change of plans, is to send a messenger over there or go over there personally and tell them. And then you have to expect that there will be some delay and some confusion because let's say this is a large enough battle where Kat can send a messenger to Ratface. So she does. Messenger goes to Ratface, tells him, hey, we got to get inside the fortress now. Then Ratface has to communicate to his officers, who have to communicate to either the officers underneath them or the soldiers beneath them. There's, It's a little sped up in this battle, because Ratface could yell and his soldiers would be able to hear him. There's, you know, 40 of them. But typically speaking, yeah, 
not being able to communicate to somebody who's probably a hundred feet away, two hundred feet away makes perfect sense. Uh, there isn't a way to do that. You could have a prearranged signal, or you can hope that your officers can act under their um, their own initiative uh, with knowledge of the overall goals for their specific front of the battle. The term for this is, by the way, is mission tactics. Um, it is something that's you know sort of studied military history about at what level officers have the uh, freedom to make these frankly big decisions with the understanding of what their primary goal is. Um, and so it, it's it's a very fascinating study, but uh, in this in this instance, I think Ratface has the order, hey, be ready to charge into wolf company when the battle starts and then when that isn't the case anymore he's left to make his own tactical decisions and uh oh that's not where you want Ratface to be that is kind of established yeah what also is established is exactly where you want him to be am i right (laughs) amen well thank you that is honestly fascinating that's what i'm here for the lines met, and over the horizon, Juniper's legionaries turned in their direction. I would have stayed to watch longer, but Wolf Company was getting close, and there was a limit to how many people I could take on, even with my name. So Catherine's just the squire, and so far a disconnected and weak squire at that. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, there's a limit to how many people she can take on with her name. I'm going to peg it at around three. What do you think? Yeah, three sounds about right, and only if none of them are orcs or particularly talented. Following that line, we do get, as I mentioned before, Catherine clenching her fingers again. Another clench? Another clench, which I'm adding to the tally, but again, I will not be telling you the total because there is yet another instance of this in this chapter. Not a tripler. It's looking that way. Sheesh. Speaking of things that are more than you expect... Uh, things that you would use the suffix ulentus for in Latin. They get in, they meet up, captains go to chat with each other. Snatcher was tall for a goblin. The top of his head went up to my chin. Now, keep in mind that Catherine is canonically half-orc and therefore totally not super short. Do not worry about it. She's not short. If you question it, she will kill you. Snatcher is a tall dude-blin. And that actually brings up a point. He's a dude, Blin. I know that the, I don't know if I even want to say sexism, but the societal consequences of the sexual dimorphism of the goblins are not present, or at least emphasized in the war college and the system of the legions. Still, male goblins are generally tinier and at the very least taught to be less, less bossy. Less leaderful. This is nifty. It's not addressed, but it's nifty. You know, honestly, I hadn't really considered it because this isn't, you know, the head of a legion or anything like that. But yeah, he's in a position of power. I mean, he's a pretty talented guy, it sounds like. So it makes some sense that within the legions, he would find a level of success he wouldn't have found uh, among his own people necessarily. But, you know, good for Snatcher. Good for Fox Company. Also true. So as Kat is talking to Snatcher, she's sort of running through the uh, 
consequences of the of the mess that was made just outside of his gates. Um, we get a little bit of a list of casualties. It's pretty bad. Uh, and then Kat thinks to herself that Black had been right. One step of my plan had failed, and now the whole thing was useless. First of all, of course he was right. Second of all, I believe a couple of episodes ago, when we were discussing Kat's early plans, her her preparation stage plans to withdraw different munitions and then put them back, and how that was a risky thing to do, or a, not a risky thing to do, how that was a kind of goofy thing to do for the level of complexity versus reward ratio. And here we're doing the same thing again. I, I think we used the word convoluted then, and that clearly comes into play now. Pat is coming up with these schemes, and sure enough, when they don't work, they kind of collapse in on themselves. And uh, I think she's learning a huge lesson here, but for now, it puts her in a very tight spot. Tight, but a fun one. I, Catherine gets in, her tooth are disheveled, they try to figure out how many of the other flanks survived. They're reassessing the situation. They're in an enemy camp, but welcomed at the distinct disadvantage, but that's why they're welcomed. Right. And Catherine meets the enemy captain, who's also her ally in this time of stress. And I just love the friendly enemy camaraderie they have. Uh, frankly, not in a dissimilar way, my love for it. Not in, I have love for it, not in a dissimilar way to the way she deals with my future wife, Hassenbach, later on, where they are, in so many important ways, fundamentally enemies. But they're certainly allies of convenience, and that convenience is all that matters, and they're both spectacular. They meet, they chat, they start making plans. Catherine notices there's trouble. They'll still be at a disadvantage going on the offense, even with those. Between your crossbows and my heavies, we'll be able to hold them off, even if they attack several spots at the same time. I have a few thoughts about that as it happens. The goblin smiled. Walk with me, Callow. I love it. I, I, I just love... I, I would absolutely read a whole practical guide just about Catherine and Snatcher messing everything up as long as my son is there. A kind of duo of... I don't even know. Of, of mess making, of, of chaos with Cat <laughs> and Snatcher. And then also Robert. Sure. That'd be a blast. Basically, what you're saying is you want Cat to interact with goblins more. Yes, everyone does. <laughs> yeah, that's very fair. Where is the Gray Aries episode? Where's the Gray Aries arc? Give me this. EE, -E, I know you have it. Release it. <laughs> Release the Aries cut. But speaking of that, we get a really interesting little bit of... We get a very interesting little bit of lore, of background, of history for the world here. Um, the goblins live in the Gray Aries right now, and... Unsurprisingly, if you know anything about folks, uh, Snatcher reveals that goblins weren't always surface dwellers. They once lived underground before the dwarves drove them out and into the gray areas. It, we don't know how long ago this is necessarily, uh, but it is an interesting bit of history of conflict between the dwarves and the goblins directly. Uh, the dwarves obviously play almost no role in the story ever, and are just a sort of background race, and, who, you know, they don't really matter. But the goblins are very important, and to find out that they've got this racial, this history of a sort of racial lines war um, that defined a huge part of their culture, where it is now, 
is interesting, uh, and I kind of had forgotten about this thing since it's kind of a small, almost throwaway line. Um, and so I'm I'm curious if I don't know. I, I'm wondering if those tensions exist more uh, now. If if there's any hint of that that we'll pick up as we continue to read, uh, you know, uh, any kind of uh, animosity that remains between the matrons and the dwarves i don't know it's it's an interesting thing to, to have this little bit of history i'm it's very very intriguing to me may i be racist regionalist altitudinalist a combination of all three please why are the underground races all just like that not enough vitamin d alternative explanation closer to the gods below in so many ways <laughs> following this little discussion we get our third finger clench of the episode, or rather of the chapter, bringing us up to a total of seven for the book so far. Seven for the entirety of what we've read. And today that was, again, how many? That was three today, yeah. Uh, which makes sense. You gotta ease your way into the finger clenching. It's, uh, it's important. It's weighty. At this rate, I expect we will have... 7,000 or so finger clenches by the end. I, I'm really excited to see this number continue to climb. And that's about it for the chapter. Catherine recognizes, oh, you've been digging tunnels and chuckling, Snatcher says, and they lead right to the two most likely campsites for a besieging force. So tell me, Captain Callow, how would you like to even your score with Bishara? Like, how is Snatcher not the one to beat? I, I mean, okay, for sure, Juniper. But Outside of that, Lizard Company a second? I don't care what the ogres are doing. Oh, actually, that's around the ogres don't care what you're doing. They would have stepped on the mine ground and stumbled a bit. Never mind. Yeah, it, there is a, a bit of a, not fully rock, paper, scissors here, but there is sort of a, a, a counterplay where Wolf is too agile for Lizard and Lizard is too tough for Fox and Rat is just getting stepped on by everybody. That it is, it is interesting. I'm curious how things would have gone without Cat here, basically, uh, because yeah, like you said, Snatcher's terrifying. I, is there some kind of time limit? I don't recall. It can't. Could he literally just sit in his fortification forever and force them to come to him? Is it a matter of patience? I I, I don't know. Would it? Would he get lower grades for not being? on the offensive, not being aggressive enough, potentially. It is, I, I just don't see the downside to making an impregnable fortress and mining the heck out of it. Other than Juniper would beat it somehow. True. That puts uh, him in second. Not bad. But I think further discussions on his fortress and how effective it is, we'll have to wait for, probably not next episode, but coming soon, because that is all the time we have for today. Join us next week on Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Rata as we discuss... Switching sides. Tunnel side. And attempted nomicide. Oh, that's very good. Thank you. Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is a fan-made podcast discussing Erratic Errata as a practical guide to evil. Check out the full serial at practicalguidetoevil.wordpress.com. Intro music for this episode was Cradle of Your Soul by Lemon Music Studio. Music for the epigraph was The Devil's Entry by Atchutpran. 
Outro music, which even now is elevating my voice to the realms of the divine, is Price of Freedom by Daddy S. Music. The music is provided by the generous license of pixabay.com slash music. Go and support all the artists who make this work possible by providing their stories and sounds free of charge. If you'd like to support this podcast, follow us on Twitter at TheLongPrice. Do you have questions, comments, or contributions? Are you overwhelmed by the urge to correct our errors? Email us at thelongprice at gmail.com. If you'd like to materially support our work, find our Patreon at patreon.com slash p-g-t-e-e. Join the ranks of our patrons and be called by name, receive personalized stories and art, or even join a PGTE-inspired RPG. We implore you, don't consider joining unless you're already supporting the artists who make this all possible. Special thanks to our patron and liege, always a claimant, never the named, as well as the hordes of cattle below. Next week, Chapter 26, Juniper's Plan.